Uh, welcome to Restoration Church. Uh, glad to have you here. If I haven't, I had the chance to meet you. My name is Pastor Kevin, and uh, just excited to have you worshiping with us. Thank you for being here today. Um, one of the things that we've been doing this summer here at Restoration Church is we've been doing something called Hashtag Restoration Vacation. Uh, the reality is over the summer, people travel, people are going to do some fun stuff. And uh, one of the ways uh, when you're gone to stay connected with the church is to check in on social media, to, to put a, a picture up on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter and include the hashtag Restoration Vacation. And that way we would be able to kind of see uh, where you're at and what you're doing. And we can live vicariously through your vacation. That's what I'm doing. So we've got a, a couple people that did that this past week. Let's go and show this first one. Uh, Dan and Joy Fitzgerald, they had their 55th wedding anniversary this past week. And... Um, and uh, spent some time in Manzanita, Oregon. And uh, they also had a family reunion. Uh, they took the picture there on the right, the family reunion. I, I thought that was funny. I thought I'd get a joke out of that one. All right. Okay. So uh, that was uh, Fitzgerald's in Manzanita. Uh, next one, uh, Rodriguez family. They uh, actually went to over to Seattle for a uh, graduation for their niece and had the chance to, to see uh, Ben's dad. So actually, Samuel, baby Samuel, who's only a few months old, this is the first time meeting Grandpa. And so, a fun opportunity for them. I think they did the zoo and that sort of thing. And uh, last one, we had Stephen Kelly Scott. They spent some time in Seabrook, uh, Seabrook, uh, Washington. Is that right? Seabrook? And so, uh, they are back. Uh, just a fun way to connect over the summer as you're traveling, as you're doing just whatever. Just hashtag Restoration Vacation. You don't know how to do it? Ask anybody who's like 10 years old, 12 years old. They'll teach you how to hashtag. And uh, we'll just be able to stay connected with each other as we're uh, enjoying the summer. So a uh, fun way to do that. Uh, we're going to finish our sermon series today uh, called Redeeming Ruth. And I'm not sure about you, but this, this series has just been really encouraging to me, really refreshing. Uh, it's just encouraged my faith. Uh, there's been hope that's been rekindled within my heart. And uh, specifically, it deals with this idea that when we're in a time of hardship, we're in a time of ruin, that God brings beauty out of that. That God brings redemption out of our, our hard times. And this has, kind of been, this has kind of been the theme that we've focused on throughout this series as we've studied the book of Ruth. That uh, the providence of God working in our lives, that, that the, the situations that we go through, the hardships that we go through, we don't always understand. We don't understand why, what God is doing or why we have to go through hard things. But we understand that God is working all things out for our good and for his glory. And that God's hand is behind everything. In fact, as we start thinking about Restoration Church... Start thinking about why we named our church Restoration Church and what this represents. It's this whole idea that God brings redemption, that God brings restoration. And this is what God desires. God desires to bring redemption. He desires to bring restoration. And we look, and as we started talking about Restoration Church, we, we said, man, God wants to do this. He wants to restore marriages. He wants to restore families. He wants to restore the things that are broken. God wants to bring redemption into lives. In fact, we think about the song that we sing here at Restoration Church, that God brings, uh, turns our mourning into dancing. He turns our weeping into laughing. He turns our sadness into joy. So today, we're going to be looking at, in Ruth chapter 4, we're going to finish off this book. Uh, Ruth chapter 4, we're going to be something that we're calling Redemption Stories. Because if we understand the book of Ruth, we know chapter 1 was all about Naomi. And today we're going to come full circle and look again at 
Naomi. And we're going to see the redemption story that God wrote in Naomi's life. And just to give you a little bit of a heads up, towards the end of the service today, uh, end of the message, we want to have an opportunity for you guys to share redemption stories, for you to share how God has maybe worked throughout the series, maybe how God has been bringing redemption and restoration in your own life and, and circumstances you've been going through. So this is going to be an opportunity for us to hear the redemption story of Naomi, but also we want to hear your redemption story of, of how God is working in your life and, and what God is doing. So this is just a fun way. So just something, no that's coming. You can be thinking about that now. And uh, when we come to the service later, you'll be able to uh, stand up and kind of share what God is doing. So Ruth chapter four, uh, end of the story. And this is, this has been a really good story. And I don't know about you, but I like good stories. I like watching movies and I like to watch movies to have a good story. And for me, a good story, you know, some of you, I know some of you are into like uh, the, the, my, my boys are into the, the superheroes and they want to watch the Hulk smash everything. And, you know, that's a good story. But for me, my favorite kind of story is a story that, that, that captivates. And so it's kind of this story, and you can picture a, a movie like this, where you've got a character in the movie. And, and through the circumstances that happens to him, like his life is changed. Like his life is affected and he has all these circumstances happen and, 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 and they change this man to be who he's going to become. Okay. I, I love that kind of a story. And the second kind of story that I like, and they go together, uh, it's even better. As I love the kind of story that you watch a movie as a viewer and it affects you deeply. Not only does it change the people in the movie, but it changes you because of the story and because of what happened. It does something inside of you. And so my wife and I, a couple a couple months ago, we got to watch a movie uh, on Netflix. And I don't know if you're on Netflix, but there's a, a documentary called Blood Brother. And if you have not seen this, I'd recommend watching it. It was just a, a great film for us. And uh, it's about a young man by the name of Rocky Bratt. And he was a young man, and like many of us, he kind of had some, some brokenness in his family. He had a fractured home life, and, and he had some trouble in his past. And he's just trying to figure out, what am I supposed to do with my life? And so he gets this idea, I know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to go to India, and I'm just going to travel India without a plan. And he starts just traveling across India, and he comes across, he comes across this, this children's home where there's all these HIV-positive orphans. And he says the first day he walked into this home, he said he was afraid. He was kind of standoffish, afraid to touch the kids. But then he just starts seeing these kids, and something happened within him. And he goes home to Philadelphia, and he tells his family, he tells his friends, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm moving to India. I'm going to go live, and I'm going to work right there at this uh, orphanage with these HIV-positive kids. Left his family, left his career. And he's got this best friend, and his best friend's like, what are you doing, man? Like, what happened in India that would cause you to leave everything you know and to, to go and, and live in, in, in the slums of India? And so his friend says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go with you. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring my camera and I'm going to film a documentary to try and understand what's going on in your life. And the friend goes and, and he witnesses Rocky. He witnesses these kids with, as they endure disease, as they endure sickness, as they endure incredible, incredible, incredible poverty, as they endure death of kids that they're growing with, that's their family. And despite all of this hardship, all these hard things they go through, this, this guy that's filming is, is amazed because these kids have this, like, endless joy. Like, despite the hardships around them, there's this joy that overtakes these kids. 
And this guy says, man, my life is changed forever because of this. And this is a tremendous story because it fits that context. Rocky goes and his life is changed because of what he saw. He had an experience and his life was changed. He was never again the same man. It made him who he was. It gave him a purpose and a passion and it shaped him as a man. And not only that, when you watch that movie, as a viewer, you become changed as well. Because it forces you to to look deep inside yourself. It forces you to look at your own prejudices. It forces you to look at your own character and what you value as being important. It causes you to, to look inside for what kind of conviction do you have? What kind of courage do we display in our own lives? And this is what the story of Ruth does for us as well. We see that the the characters in Ruth, man, they have circumstances that happen. Naomi, Boaz, Ruth, they have circumstances that change them for good, that, that become who they are because of the circumstances they've gone through. And not only are they changed, but you and I, as we have the chance to look at this whole story, we are changed too because we see the providence of God's hand working. We see that God's hand is in everything that we do. And God wants to take even our hardest times, even our our most brokenness and and the ruin in our life. And God wants to bring redemption to that. The thing we have to understand as we've gone through this book is that, that God's, we believe in God's good hand guiding the events of our lives and the events of history. This is God's providence, that we believe that God is working in every circumstance, okay? That we don't have a God uh, who's, who's kind of looking at a situation in your life and he's kind of throwing his hands up and says, oh, well, I can't do anything now. You've got yourself in a mess and I don't know what to do because I don't have power and control. We don't believe in a God like that. We believe in a God who is guiding the events of your life and my life, who's guiding the events of our city and all around us for a purpose. And as we look back in the book of Ruth, Every one of the characters has believed in that idea that God's hand is behind every circumstance that happens. And some of us, some of us will look at this story and say, no, no, that's not God's hand in this story. There's too much bad stuff that happened. Like God can't be responsible for the bad stuff that happens in our lives. Like, 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 like Elimelech dying and her son, Naomi's son's dying. Like God can't, condone, God can't condone that. That's not God's hand. But listen, every one of those characters They believed, they believed that God is guiding every circumstance because they believed in the ultimate power of God, that God is the ultimate power in our world. The last few weeks, we've really focused on the relationship between Ruth and Boaz and the the budding romance and that marriage the last week that we saw. But today, we're going to look at redemption stories and we're going to come all the way back to what we first heard in chapter 1. Because if you remember chapter 1, this really sets up the stage for our text today. Is in chapter 1, you remember the story of, of, it started with Naomi. Chapter 1 was primarily about Naomi. Naomi had this husband, Elimelech. She had two sons. She had the perfect little family. They lived in Bethlehem. But then a famine came. The famine came. And, 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 and they didn't have any job. They didn't, there wasn't any job. There was no money. There was no, uh, no, 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 no good horizons in front of them. So Elimelech and Naomi make a decision. We're going to take our family and leave Bethlehem. Leave God's place. Leave, leave the church. And we're going to move to Moab. Because we hear that the famine hasn't affected Moab. 
Now, Moab was not a good place to be. Moab was not a place that a, a Christian should live. It was away from God's people. There was no church. There was no other Christians around you. And so they leave Moab. And remember what happened? Or they leave Bethlehem and head to Moab. Remember what happened in, in Moab? Elimelech dies. Elimelech had this great decision. I'm going to leave Bethlehem so I can move to Moab and live. And instead he died. And the two sons, they married Moabite girls. Or married for about 10 years. And remember what happened to the two sons? They died as well. So here you've got, you've got Naomi. And she's in this foreign country. She's a, she, there's no church. There's no other Christians around her. She's got these two daughter-in-laws. She's got no job. She's a woman. In those days, it's hard for a woman to work without having to do something shady. She's got, she's got no provision. She's got no food. And she's looking around and saying, man, this sucks. This is not where I'm supposed to be. And she hears that God's blessing has returned to Bethlehem. And she makes a decision. I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. And I'm going to go back to, to the church. I'm going to go back to God's people. And I'm going to live where I believe God is calling me to live. Which is in, in his will. And remember what happened. And she comes back in. She says, don't call me. And the people welcome her back. Say, hey, we're so, we're so happy to see you, Naomi. And she says, no, no, no. Don't call me Naomi. That means beautiful. I'm not beautiful. Call me Mara. That means bitter. I'm just a bitter old lady now. Bitter old hag. That's what I am now. So don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Remember she said, she said, I left and I was full. I had a family. I had a future. And now I'm coming back. I'm coming back empty. I've got nothing going for me. And in chapter 4 today, we're going to see the conclusion of Naomi's story. An epilogue of sorts. And the main idea that we're going to see, the main idea I want you to see, is that God's providence reaches out and brings beauty out of our ruins. God's providence reaches out and brings beauty out of our ruins. So before we jump in, would you just join me in a word of prayer? God, just thank you for this opportunity to be here today. Thank you for the opportunity to open up your word. God, I'm I'm glad we're not here just to hear a pastor's opinion on how to live, but that God, we're actually open up your word. That God, you've written to every one of us. God, we're not here for an appointment at church. We're not here to check something off. We're here to meet with the living God. So God, I just pray that you would allow your presence to rest on us. You allow your spirit to rest on us. That you would speak to us. That you would draw us closer to you. That you would work in our lives. God, we love you and praise you. And we ask your blessing in our time together this morning. Amen. So as as we look at this idea that God's providence reaches uh, out and brings beauty out of our ruins. The first thing I want you to see is, is that, that God's providence reaches beyond our suffering. God's providence reaches beyond our suffering. Look at verse 13 with me. This is where we'll start out. It says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. See, this was huge. We've talked about this idea that, that Boaz was a redeemer and he marries, Naomi, he marries Ruth and now there's redemption. But that wasn't enough. It couldn't just be about a marriage. It wasn't enough for, for Boaz and Ruth to get married. Boaz is eventually going to die. And he's not going to be able to carry on that family name. And they're going to be in the same situation. <laughs> and so what had to happen was there had to be a child out of this marriage. But if you remember... Ruth, she was married to Naomi's son for 10 years and couldn't have a baby. 
She was, she was barren. And so you look at the story and you wonder, is she going to be able to have a baby? Like she tried for 10 years and couldn't do it. That's a long time to wait for a child. And this is the first time in verse 13 that the author is going to speak directly of God's involvement. Now remember, every character in the story, they see God's hand working behind everything. But this is the first time the author is directly going to say, God did something. And this is what he said. He said, the Lord gave her conception. God allowed her to become pregnant and to give birth to a son. Now, remember this town, as soon as Naomi returned to town, everybody got all excited. Hey, Naomi, you're back. And so they heard, hey, Naomi, she had a grandbaby. She had a baby boy. Ruth gave birth. And so the women gather around the baby boy in verse 14. And they come up to Naomi, and this is what they say to Naomi. They say, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. See, something interesting we, we, we see when we read that. Because remember, who's the redeemer in the story? It's Boaz, right? Like Boaz, we've, we've been working and, and trying to get Boaz to marry this girl so that way there's redemption. And, and we've understood that Boaz carries the title of redeemer, kinsman redeemer. So we look at Boaz and say, man, he's the redeemer. But that's not who the ladies are talking about. Who are the ladies talking about? They're talking about the baby. They're talking about this little boy being the redeemer because he's the, he's the heir. He's going to be the one that's going to carry on that family name for generations to come. And he's the one that's going to bring beauty to their future because he's going to live longer than Boaz. And now this family has a future. And so the ladies are saying, hey, here's your redeemer. It's this boy that has been born to Ruth and Boaz. I mean, look at what they say in verse 15. It says, he shall be a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. And it's this whole idea that, that, that they have this child and this child is going to renew your life. You were, you were at one point empty, but now, Ruth, you have this child. Naomi, you have this child. You are now full. You're full of life. You're full of hope. There's a future for your family. And Naomi, there's future for your old age. There's going to be somebody who's going to provide for you. Because Boaz, we don't know how old he is, but we know Boaz is older than Ruth. At some point, Boaz is going to die. And now through this child, Naomi and Ruth have somebody else who will provide for them and take care of them as they get old. Remember, remember how this all came about. Remember why this happened. How do they get to the point of having this child? The ladies say in verse 15, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. They're saying your daughter-in-law is the one who has brought beauty out of these ruins. Now, again, this isn't about sexism. This isn't talking about sexism, about how sons are better than daughters. I mean, they're saying, hey, you've got a daughter-in-law. She's better than seven sons. I've got four sons. My daughter's sweet. She is wonderful. But I wouldn't say any of my kids are better than any of the others. This isn't a matter of sexism. What happened was, was people wanted sons in those days because if you had a son, there's a chance that son's going to take care of you in your old age. And if you had seven sons, there's going to be a good chance that one of those kids is going to be well-to-do. There's going to be a good chance that one of those kids is going to have enough of, uh, of an income to be able to provide for you in your old age. This is the idea. Naomi, she had two sons. And they're saying, even if you had seven sons, your daughter-in-law... 
Naomi is of more value to you. See, Boaz, we remember Boaz. He was the redeemer. He was the one who was going to save them. But as you look through the whole story, it's Ruth time and time again. She's the one who pushes the story along. She's the one who helps through God's intervention to bring the Naomi out of the ruins and into beauty. It's Naomi who pushed the story along. And so they, these ladies gather around and they say, hey, thank God for Ruth. Because she's been such a big part of, of bringing beauty out of the ashes. This is what the ladies say next in verse 16 and 17. They say, says, then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. Listen, does Naomi have a son? No. No, this is, this is Ruth's son. I mean, at best for Naomi, this is like, this is like uh, your daughter-in-law, who's no longer really your daughter-in-law, has married a, 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 a family member of yours, of your, of your dead husband's, and they have a son. Naomi, you don't really have a son. But... This is what the ladies are saying. They're saying, they have had a child in your family's behalf, in your name. They've had a family on your behalf to give your family an heir, to give your family someone who will continue your namesake for generations to come. And now there's going to be someone in your family to care for the land, to carry on that name, to care for you in your old age. You've been given a son. And verse 17, it says, they named him Obed. Now, it's kind of weird because it sounds like the ladies named an Obed. Like, I've been trying for years to get somebody to name their child Kevin. Like, like every, every person that's going to have a baby in this church, I'm going to say, I'm going to tell you, I think Kevin's a great name for a little boy. And if you have a little girl, I think Kavina is a great name as well. Like, I'd love just to, to name your child for you. But here are these ladies. They give this child a name and they call him Obed. Now, we look at all of Naomi's story. And we can look at Naomi's story and we can think, man, God, God's been harsh with you. I mean, look at all the hardships you've gone through. Like, maybe it's God, God's mad at you. I don't understand. I don't know. Because, you know, you start off with your family and then, and then you go to Moab and, and God takes away your husband and makes you a widow. And then God kills off your sons and, and God puts you through all this stuff and God puts you through all this difficulty. Man, you could almost come to the story and say, man, God is a mean God. God's a vicious God. But when we pause and we look at the whole story, look at these things that have happened. Because if they don't have the famine, if they don't have the famine and they don't go down to Moab, they would have never met Ruth. And listen, if, and, if, and, if, and if the husband, Elimelech, and if the two boys in Moab, if they wouldn't have died, there's a good chance that, that Naomi stays down in, in Moab for the rest of her, rest of her life. There's a good chance she stays there and has no reason to return back to Bethlehem. And if they don't return to Bethlehem, then there's a good chance they never meet Boaz. And Boaz never would have been a part of this family. And if Boaz wasn't a part of this family, then Obed, the son, doesn't exist. <clears throat> See, this deliverer, this redeemer, this child, Obed, who's going to bring beauty out of these ashes... He was a result of all these painful events that had happened. 
It's not that God looked at Naomi and said, man, I don't care. Or, or I'm just going to pull you through all this junk because I can and I'm going to make you suffer. No, God is the providential author of our lives. He is working things out for our good and for his glory. And we don't always understand how God's will is going to work. We don't understand how God is moving. But when we have a faith that the providence of God is working, that he is in control of all things, that he is powerful, then we understand that no matter what we are going through, God's hand is on us. God is going to bring beauty out of all the hardships that we face. See, when we're in the ruins, when we're in the ruins, there's this huge temptation that it can feel like God is nowhere to be found. Like God's forgotten us or God is cruel and God's just putting us through this because he can. And so some of us, we, 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 saw, we solve it and say, well, God, God's not really doing that. Maybe God just doesn't have the power to, to do anything. And I, love, and I love this because if you look at the story, Naomi, she's very honest and bold before God. She came back to Bethlehem and she said, God has dealt bitterly with me. God has been hard on me. And listen, nobody corrects her. She's being honest before the people. She's bringing her junk out. And she's saying, man, God has been hard on me. And nobody says, no, you can't say that about God. No, they say, hey, let's welcome the mess. And this is what the church is supposed to be about. When we're going through the hard times and we're struggling and saying, I don't understand what God is doing here. We're supposed to be a safe place where we can say, here's what I'm going through. I'm having a hard time understanding what God is doing. And as the church we're a safe place where there's no condemnation here for Naomi. They say, yep, seems like God has dealt bitterly with you. But we know that God's hand is on you. And she knows, Naomi knows, that God's hand is working behind the scenes. And you could picture her at the point of wanting to cash in her chips and just completely lose her faith. Just say, this isn't working. Like, I've been trying to follow God, but it just isn't working. My life has fallen apart. We're in this devastation. This is, this is horrible. And that's the time where we have this big temptation just to give up. And I know that there are some in here who are looking at situations in their life, looking at your workplace and saying, man, I've, I've tried to do the right thing. I've, I've, I've tried to live the right way. I've tried to live with integrity. Man, I, I don't participate in the backbiting. I don't do the gossip. I don't betray people. I don't do those things, but it just feels like it's not working. It feels like I can't get ahead. It feels like I, I can't get in control of this. And we just dig ourselves deeper and deeper into this hole. And we don't know what's next. And we can't figure out what God is doing in our life. And we have this temptation to say, you know, maybe, maybe it's time I stop trying to do things God's way. Maybe it's time I say I'm going to do things my way because I'm going to make things better on my own. Some of you experience this pain in relationships. Or you've tried to do right by God. You've tried to live with godly character. You've tried to do the right thing. But it seems it hasn't been working. And there's just more pain and more hurt in those relationships. And that relationship becomes further and further apart. And the temptation is, man, I'm either going to quit. and I'm going to seek a divorce. I'm going to break off this relationship. Or, or I'm going to stop doing things God's way and I'm going to try to figure out a path on my own. This could be, for you, it could be something financial. 
It could be something with your health where you say, man, I'm trying to live right, God. I'm trying to do this right. But it seems like I can't get ahead. And it seems it comes to a point where you just say, I quit. I'm tired of doing this. I'm going to stop doing church. I'm going to stop doing God because it's not working. Listen, think about how tragic it would have been. Think about how tragic it would have been if Naomi had quit. If she had lost hope in God before he was about to do these beautiful things in her life. Think about Ruth. What if she lost hope in God? What if she looked at all these circumstances and said, there's nothing for me in Bethlehem. There's no earthly future for me in Bethlehem. There's no hope for me. Imagine how tragic it would have been if she lost her faith in God and would have missed out of all of the beauty that God was going to bring out of her life. God's providence brings beauty out of our ruins. God's providence reaches beyond our suffering. Listen, I don't know where you're at, but if you're in that moment of suffering, if you're in the ruins, don't give up. Do not give up. Because we have a God who specializes in bringing beauty out of the ruins, beauty out of the ashes, of bringing redemption to even the the most broken of lives, even the, the worst story. That's the God that we worship. And if you give up hope, you risk missing out on the beauty that God is going to bring out of your story. Not only in this epilogue, this conclusion, do we see that God brings beauty out of our suffering. But there's a second part I want you to see. That, God, that God's providence reaches beyond our sphere. God's providence reaches beyond our sphere. See, this story isn't just a story about about God doing something special in the lives of Naomi and and Ruth and Boaz. I mean, God does something beautiful for them, but God's going to do something even greater than that. Because look at verse 15. It says, they named the baby Obed, and he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Through this child... Through this child, the great-grandson is going to be David, who's the greatest king that Israel ever had. The king that all other kings are going to be judged by. They're going to measure. This was God's king. And you can imagine, you can imagine King David. The end of his reign. He's been king over Israel for 40 years. He's had tremendous success as king. You can picture a journalist coming up to David and saying, David, David. Help us understand, what makes you such a great king? Like, like, David, how did you get here to be this great king? And David could say, well, you know, after Saul died, my tribe, Judah, they made me king over my tribe. And the other 11 tribes, they made Solomon's son become king. And so that was like that for seven years till Solomon's sons died. And then I became king over all of Israel. And that's how I became here. The journalist says, no, no. Let's go back a little bit further. Like, like before that, how did you get to be a great king? And David would say, well, that's easy. You know, like when Saul was king, when Saul was king, uh, he was jealous of me because he, he, he was jealous of me for whatever reason, felt I was a, 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 a threat to his throne. And so he sought to kill my life continually for years. And there was two times that I had the chance to take his life. He was right in front of me, but I chose to live with integrity. I chose to trust God. And our enemies are the ones that killed Saul. 
That's how I got to be king. Because God worked things out the way that he was doing. And the journalist would say, no, no, you got to go back even further. Even, even further than that, David. And David would say, okay, well, remember that giant? Remember that giant? And he was out defying all of Israel. He was defying God. Well, I came out to see my brothers one day. And I said, man, this isn't right. This guy should not be defying God like this. And, and so I just assumed I'm just this young boy without any warrior training. I'm not, a, I'm, not a, I'm not a soldier. But I just figured that God wanted to use somebody who was weak, somebody who wasn't trained to kill the giant. And God did. And that's how I got here. And the journalist would say, no, let's go even further back, David. Like, 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 even further back, how did you get to be this great king? And David would say, well, there was that time when the prophet came to my house. And he was going to anoint a new king. And so they brought all my brothers out. And my brothers, they're strong. They look like a king. They're soldiers. They, they, you know, they're older than me. They look like they should be a king. And the prophet passed every one of them and said, no, they're not the king. And he came down to me, and I was just a little kid. I was just a ruddy, little teenage boy out taking care of the sheep. And the prophet says, this is going to be the next king over Israel because he has a heart after God. That's how I became the great king. And journalist says, no, let's go back even further. Where did it start? And David would have said this. It started with a woman by the name of Ruth. It started with Ruth. David is not on the throne. David does not exist. David is not the greatest king that Israel had. If a Moabite woman named Ruth wouldn't have chosen to trust God, if she wouldn't have chosen to follow after God and trust that God was going to bring beauty out of the ashes, that God was going to redeem a hard situation, David doesn't exist of Moab David doesn't exist if Ruth doesn't make that decision to trust God to bring beauty out of the ashes. This story reaches beyond the sphere of just these three people in the story. And this is something that you and I need to think about when we go through hardships, when we go through the ruins. Because listen, the way that you and I respond to hardship, the way that we respond to that difficulty in your life, to that suffering, to the hard people, the way that you respond is going to resound for generations. Has the ability to resound for generations to come. Faced with hardship, you can choose just to, to play it safe and say, I'm going to take care of my own destiny. I'm going to do things in my own power, my own strength. And I'm going I'm I'm to force myself to make it seem better. Or you could choose to persevere, to remain faithful. To take a risk and watch God do something amazing. Of bringing beauty out of the hardest situation. Generations to come can and will be affected by how we choose to face those ruins. By how we choose to face those difficulties. Of how we respond to God's call in our lives. Anybody, anybody ever heard of the guy of named Mordecai Ham. Anybody heard of Mordecai Ham? One person. Okay? I didn't hear him about him until this week, but let me tell you about Mordecai Ham. You may not know who he is, and you probably shouldn't. Okay? He was an evangelist in the early 1900s and, and would go around and he would preach the gospel to people. Okay? 
Just trying to be faithful with what God has called him to do. And it just so happens that one day he's in Charleston, uh, North Carolina. And he's having a revival meeting and he's preaching the gospel. And a young teenage boy walks into that room and hears about Jesus. About Jesus being his savior. And he says, you know what? I surrender my life to this Jesus. I choose today to be a Christian. That young man's name was Billy Graham. Billy Graham became the greatest evangelist our, our, our history has ever known. Billions of people, not just millions, 2.2 billion people are believed to have heard the gospel through the preaching of Billy Graham. Countless number of Christians have placed their faith through the crusades and the radio ministry of Billy Graham. You might never hear of Mordecai Ham. Chances are you've heard of Billy Graham. And this is where you and I have to understand that our response to God's call in our life affects generations to come. The story of Ruth. God impacted generations to come by the faithfulness of how these people responded. This is where we have to understand your story is not about you. My story is not about me. It's not about our immediate family. It's about God and how God will expand your sphere of influence through your faithfulness. And listen, the story of Ruth doesn't just stop with David because Ruth is mentioned in the New Testament. When you turn to the, to the, the book of Matthew and you look at the genealogy of Jesus, guess whose name appears in the genealogy of Jesus? Ruth. Ruth. If we don't have Naomi, if we don't have Ruth, if we don't have Boaz faithfully responding to God in the story, then we don't have Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, who came to take away our sins, who becomes the only way for us to be made right with God. Without Boaz being faithful, without Ruth being faithful, who knows how far the faithfulness of your story will reach to people beyond your immediate circle, people that you have no clue are watching and seeing your faithfulness, seeing how you respond and saying, I want some of what you have because I see your faith. God's providence, his guiding hand is working in the events of our lives and in the events of our world. And his providence reaches beyond our suffering and his providence reaches beyond our sphere. And with that, I want to just give you this opportunity now. We've seen Naomi's life. We've seen how she's been brought out of these ruins and how God has brought restoration. How God has brought beauty out of the ashes and redemption. And I just want to do this. uh, Jason, I think you're around somewhere. If you have a microphone, I just want to do this. We're going to do, we don't do this all the time, but I want to just ask you to do this. If you have a, a story of how God has been working in your life, of how God has been bringing redemption, of something that God has done, or maybe how the sermon series has spoken to you, would you just stand up and just be willing to, to encourage the church and share how God has worked in your life? Because we want to hear the story from Ruth, but we also want to hear the story of what's happening today in our church right here. I'll check it. Um, My name is Danielle, and I've been coming here for almost two years now. 
Um, my husband comes when he can. He just works crazy job. Um, but when pastor was talking about just redemption and God's restoration, something that came to mind was, um, first a little background. When I was 16, I had a three and a half pound tumor, um, inside of my left chest wall cavity. And, um, it miraculously was not cancer. Although when the doctors found it in a routine checkup, they admitted me in the cancer ward. And after the biopsy, they were getting ready to start me on chemo. And we were planning on having to move our whole lives over to Seattle. Um, I was 16 at the time. So the doctors removed the tumor. It came back six months later. Uh, They removed five of my ribs. Some of you know this. I have metal ribs now. I'm titanium rib woman. Um, There was actually still tumor after that, and um, I went through radiation therapy for 30 days. Um, During that time, I was recently a Christian, and I had only been a Christian a few years, and none of my family was. So it it was definitely a testimony, like Pastor was saying, what you go through, people are watching. Um, They want to see if you're going to trust God through the hard times. And um, I'm grateful to say that God gave me the grace to trust him through that. But as a result of all of that medical stuff, um, we didn't know if I would ever be able to be pregnant or have kids. Um, And so just through the years, praying and and believing, if anyone ever asked me um, if that was a possibility, I would say, well, of course, like, we'll just have to wait and see. But but that's what we're, we're praying and believing for. So when my husband and I got pregnant and decided, or when we got married, married first, um, and decided we wanted to, to start to have a family, um, it honestly was a miracle that I got pregnant, that I was even physically capable of getting pregnant after all the scar tissue, all the radiation. Um, and, and we were so, we felt like God's really redeemed me physically and and shown us this um, part of our lives, and um, and we lost that baby. Um, that baby died, and we had a miscarriage. And um, a few months later, I got pregnant again. We lost that baby too. And even in the midst of those hard times, God's still able to redeem us. He's still able to bring comfort. He's still able to give us hope. Um, it reminds me of first or second Corinthians chapter one, verse three and four. Um, talks about when we go through suffering that we can praise God, which is completely counterintuitive. Why would we want to praise God when we go through hard times? But but we can because he's still good and he's still able to restore and be there during those hard times. And also that God gives us comfort when we go through hard times. And also that verse talks about when we go through hard times, when we go through suffering, God gives us the ability to comfort others who have been through suffering as well. Um, And obviously now you all see me. This is our baby. I got pregnant and gave birth to her, and she's three months old. Um, And, yeah. (laughs) You guys woke her up. Thanks. Yeah, but she is such a miracle, and um, she's part of our redemption story, um, and we're so grateful for that. But regardless of whatever we go through, I just wanted to share that part of my life with you. Um, some of you may already know our story, but but just that whether it's physically, whether it's something that people can see or something that people can't see, um, God is someone who restores, and God is someone who 
who just brings redemption in any area that we go through, and we can trust him through that. So I'll let someone else share. I trust in God a lot. My name is Anna, and I trust in God a lot. He's helped me through the hardships, and every time I come to church, he's giving me blessings every day. And I thank you for prayers, and when I need something, I know I can trust in him, and I appreciate all my brothers and sisters here that, that pray. And I know whatever I go through, I can always trust in him, and I, I praise him. And I thank you for Kevin's pre- preaching every time, and the Everybody that prays, I praise God for everything. Thank you. Hi, um, I'm Caitlin Fairbanks, and I'm new to the um, church. Um, the last few weeks, I haven't been attending church. I have had a little problem with wrestling with God. And out of, out of the blue, I got a message on my machine, somebody asking me to give a testimony today. And I thought, whoa, <laughs> God is working. <laughs> he, I am worthy of his love. And um, I grew up in eastern Oregon, and I... Um, um, had a great life and, until my dad um, ended up being an alcoholic and things just um, went from there. But um, by 24, I had, I had two children and um, um, was happily married. And um, about seven years later, um, my husband took his life. And um, at that point... All I could do was just pray. I don't know. I just prayed and prayed and prayed. And I didn't feel like God was answering my prayers. And I was wondering, why am I? My my kids were just devastated. They were in their teens and, and fully aware of understanding the concept of what had happened. It was not only my husband, but his brother a year before that had taken his life. So it was a um, couple years, and um, I went through a trial, and a year trial, because I, I had married a man with a lot of money. So it was even worse. So um, I, I decided I wanted to give up and just give him everything, but I fought for what was rightfully mine and my kids. And... Um, I was dealing with people, my family, that were judges, lawyers, everything in the community. And I thought, oh, I didn't know what was going to happen. I was very, very scared to go against these people. But um, I did a lot of praying. And God took me through that year. It cost me $150,000 in attorney fees. But I was free. I gave the rest to my children. They got educations. And um, 
Before my husband had passed away, I had had a tubal reversal to have kids again. And um, four years later, I became pregnant with twins. And um, they were born um, on December 24th. And um, they were taken from me in the year 2014 because of drugs and alcohol. And um, I think that is probably one of the lowest points in my life. It was the most hardest thing I've ever gone through. I raised these kids. I was always a stay-at-home mom. I took my kids. They know the Lord. All my kids know the Lord, thank God. And um, today, I'm living in the clean and sober house. I am um, free from all that. And attending, um, this lovely woman right here brought me to the church when I <laughs> moved in with at the Blossom House. And, you know, God, with uh, everything, God is, everything's possible with God. And um, day by day, I look and I, I, I wrestle with it. I don't know why, but the last couple of days, I mean, a couple of weeks, I was just, I don't know. I never could pinpoint it, but now I do know. So I'm very gracious that you asked me, and um, praise the Lord. One more. Anybody else? Story of redemption of how God is working, how God has worked. I think uh, the key behind this, thank you, Jason. Go ahead and have a seat. I think the, uh, the idea is uh, we see God at work in the pages of Scripture. We see God at work through the life of Naomi, but God is also at work right here and right now. And God has brought redemption, and God is bringing redemption, and God is working right here. And I don't want us to miss this. I don't want us to think that God did these things long ago, and he gave us a book to read his stories. God is still in the, in the work of redemption today. He is still writing stories of redemption, and that is why we exist as a church. To see people come in like Caitlin, who are broken and God saying, I'm doing a work in you. And I'm going to take this situation. I'm going to redeem it. <laughs> Not for, to make you great, but to make God's name great. And God has taken Drew and Danielle and taken them. And, and this baby of redemption right here. Like, how beautiful is that? This is the God that we worship. And he is writing these stories in our midst. And he has more stories for us right here through Restoration Church. And this is why we, we come in and why we do this. It's because God is a God who redeems, who brings beauty out of the ashes. And I, my prayer is the next time we have this opportunity to share some stories, that there's more people that step up and say, man, this is what God has done. Here's how his God has worked. Here's the beauty that God has brought out of my ashes, out of my difficulty. God's providence reaches out and brings beauty out of our ruins. And I think about the 
just as a way to close, I think about the last, the greatest way that God has brought beauty out of ashes. See, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. This is the only way that we are made right to God. This is the only way that we become a Christian, that we enter into eternity and heaven, is through Jesus' death and, and sacrifice on that cross. When we repent, when we put our trust in him, when we put our faith in him, we say, Jesus, I will follow you now. You are my God. I will follow you. And Jesus died on that cross, and they, they put that son of God, they put him in a tomb as a lifeless body. And God did his most marvelous work of bringing beauty from ashes as he brought our Savior back to life. Resurrected him, brought him up, giving us victory over Satan and grave and, and the grave and death and hell. And this is our redemption through what Jesus did for us on the cross and through the resurrection. And we have the opportunity right now to respond to God's word. The worship team is going to come up. They're going to sing a couple songs. And my prayer is that you and I will just have this time that we can pray for redemption. Pray for redemption in our lives. Pray for redemption in our family. Pray for redemption in our church. Pray for redemption in our community. That lives would be changed because the fact that that tomb was, was filled and it no longer is. That tomb is now empty. That we have a God who brings beauty out of the ashes. And if you're there and you say, man, I've experienced that redemption. Man, during these times of worship, this is a time just to praise God. Just to lift your hand up and sing praise to who he is. That he has brought beauty into your life. Would you pray with me? God, I just thank you for what you're doing right here. God, I thank you for the beauty that you've brought into my own life. How you've brought redemption. Now, God, the only way I can stand up here today is through that beauty and through that grace. And God, as we have the opportunity just to hear these stories of God, what you've done through the life of Naomi, God, sometimes it's easy for us to think, well, that happened long ago and, and that's in the Bible. But God, you are still a God of redemption. You are still redeeming as we can see it through our lives and through the stories we heard today. God, as we talk about redemption stories, God, I pray that there would be more redemption stories. That, God, you would continue to bring people to yourself. That we as Christians would say, I want to step into this. And, God, I want you to expand my sphere. That your providence would reach out. God, I pray that you would continue to do your work of redemption right here today those who are going through the hardship and the ruins that they would look to you today and say God my eyes are on you my faith and my trust is in you and you alone I will not give up God for those that can say I've experienced that beauty I've experienced that redemption my prayer is that they would be understand that they can praise you for what you've done and they can step in like Boaz like Ruth and help to be a part of God's hand to bring redemption to others God, I pray that you would just meet with us now. God, humble us. Drop us to our knees. That we would be your agents. That we would be your hands and your feet. That you would use us to bring redemption. And that, God, that there would be redemption in this room today. God, we love you.
crazy when I ask this in your name. Amen.